Good morning. I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to be with you this morning. If you are new, uh, we're just starting. We're in our second sermon of the series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this morning, we're actually getting into the prayer. We'll be looking at verse 9, where Jesus tells his disciples, he's instructing his disciples to pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That will be our text this morning. But before we get there, I want you to think about, I want you to think about when it is you pray the best, right? Is it after two, three cups of coffee in the morning? I can tell you this was at least a four cup sermon. <clears throat> maybe, maybe you pray the best in your favorite room, in your favorite chair, at your favorite time of day. Uh, maybe you don't sleep like you used to, and now you frustrating, no choice of your own. You pray the best at two in the morning. Maybe you're kind of strange. You're one of these people who prays the best when you're in a big group of strangers. If that's the case, I would love to meet you because I have not met that person yet. But the point is, all I'm getting at is Jesus wants us to pray well. And that's why we have the Lord's Prayer. It's why Jesus answered his disciples' request when they asked him to teach them to pray. And as we learned last week, Jesus is so concerned that we pray well that he even pointed out the wrong ways to pray, right? That we can mishandle prayer, we can come at it wrong, we can even have the wrong motivations in prayer. So according to Jesus, as we look at the Lord's prayer, what can we conclude about when we pray the best? When is it that we pray the best? And what we see is that Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray the best, to pray well, he doesn't have anything to say about where you pray. He doesn't have anything to say about what time of day you pray. He's silent on, on how much caffeine is necessary to get you praying. So we know that those aren't the ingredients. Those aren't the building blocks to praying your best. What we need to pray well to pray our best is, to, is found in the first part of this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so here's my proposal. I want to make the case that these opening words give us everything we need to pray the best. And here's why. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It gives us our identity in prayer. And our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name tells us about the one. It gives us the identity of the one to whom we are praying to. And our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, tells us about the most important issue. It tells us about the concern that we should be most taken up with and consumed with in prayer. So that's what we need to pray the best. If we can grasp our identity if we can better understand the one to whom we are praying to, and if we can comprehend the most important concern, the most vital issue in the world, we will pray our best. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us your son who came 
not only to save us and redeem us, but to give us the instruction that we need for our daily lives. We ask that you would give us humble hearts now, that we would be in a place where our ears are open and our hearts would be receptive to all that you have for us this morning. Father, we, we truly need it. So please, in your grace and in your kindness, grant our request for your help. We pray in your son's name. Amen. So if you noticed as a culture, we're somewhat fascinated by stories of con artists. Movies are made about them. I even read this week that several years ago, uh, Netflix paid one over $300,000 to produce a miniseries chronicling her deception and all of her schemes. And as we watch these stories, as we hear about these stories, what's common to them all is that eventually, eventually the deception is too much. It gets, it gets too exhausting to keep up the ruse because we know, you know, you can only be something you aren't for only so long. Eventually, false identities, false identities will get exposed. This carefully constructed facade will eventually crumble, and you know that eventually, yes, Tom Hanks will track you down. And so I want you to think about, for you, when does prayer become difficult? Right? When does it feel like a, just like a burden, that it's just constant effort? Are there times that prayer feels very heavy to you? And you actually end up feeling like a spiritual fraud after you pray. When does that happen for you? And I think the answer is that when, it is when you forget. It's when you forget who you are. When you're, when you're trying to be something you aren't. Paul Miller says in his book, A Praying Life, he says that the only way to come to God is by taking off any spiritual mask. And he says the real you, the real you has to meet the real God. And so who's the real you? Right? The real you as a Christian is that you are God's child. See, John says, what kind of love what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are children. We are children of God by grace. This is not something that we have by nature, just by being born. This is God's supernatural doing. It is his work and his intervention in our lives. In love, Paul says, God the Father predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about this sonship, we're talking about a spiritual privilege. This is a spiritual blessing that is only ours through faith in Christ Jesus. The real you, Christian, the real you this morning is that you are God's 
beloved child. So when it comes to prayer, don't try to be otherwise. Pray and pray and pray as one of God's children. And you need to pray with full awareness, full awareness of what that means because our real identity as children of God, it gives us this great freedom because we don't have to run. We don't have to put a mask on. We don't have to create this false identity when we go to the Father in prayer. Here's what I mean. How many children do you know who don't get weary who aren't easily overwhelmed with even the simplest of things. Have you ever met a child who didn't need help? And what child doesn't make a mess of things? No offense to the children in here, but have you ever seen them eat? But no child, no child cleans herself up before calling out for help. And I was thinking this, and it brought me back to how my dad often, often corrected my grammar as a kid, but never when I was in need or distress or upset. He didn't say, Brian, I know that things are not going well. I know that this is troublesome to you, but could you please reword reword that using the past participle? Here's the point. You can't pray well. You're not going to pray well pretending to be something you aren't. And the real you is spiritually poor. The real you is not through with sin. The real you, as much as you might pretend, as much success as you've, you've had in this world, The real you is not beyond the Father's help and never will be. The real you is a child, a child with great needs, troubles, and heartaches, immaturities. You are a child with blind spots. You are a child with besetting sins. And no child, you know this, no child ever cries out for help because they're disciplined. But there can be a tendency in us as Christians when it comes to prayer to think that discipline, that discipline is just what we need. So I, need to, I just need to get up earlier, I just need to try harder, I just need to read more books, get better habits, get better routines, and sure, nothing wrong with getting up early, nothing wrong with reading a book, but you realize, don't you, that that will never be sufficient. What you truly need to pray well, to pray without ceasing, what you need is what children have, and that is that unashamed awareness of your neediness. Let me say that again. What you need, no matter how old you are, how far along you are in this Christian life, what you need is what children have this unashamed awareness of your neediness. Again, Paul Miller says, he says, a praying life isn't simply a morning prayer time. It's about slipping into prayer at odd hours of the day, not because we are disciplined, 
but because we are in touch with our own poverty of spirit. Realizing that we can't even walk through a mall or our neighborhood without the help of the spirit of Jesus. How true is that? So getting into a praying life, beginning to pray without ceasing, never, it's never gonna start with your competence. It's not gonna start with the strength of your resolve because nothing, friends, nothing in the Christian life ever starts there. And you don't really start praying because you're spiritually fit. You're some sort of spiritual superhero. You pray and pray and pray because you're spiritually incomplete. And in fact, not feeling spiritual, not feeling particularly close to God, that is a great reason to begin praying. And so friends, what in your week, what in your week has exposed that there's still anger that there's still lust, that there's still jealousy and greed in your heart. That's why you continue and continue to pray. And even after years of marriage, did something happen this week that reminded you, yes, you are not done battling selfishness. And that is why we break into prayer at odd hours of the day. All right, parents, what happened this week that once again confirmed that, yes, in all of your infinite wisdom and all of your threats, you do not have the power to transform your child's heart. And that's why you find yourself up late at night praying to the one, praying to the only one who can bring grace into your child's heart. You see, it's this paradox. It's where you really feel unholy. It's where your, your lack of righteousness, your lack of power, that is where prayer can really begin. And so what's that place for you this morning? And what's really going on in your family behind the beautiful facade that we are so good at putting up. Let's not hide from what's not beautiful about us. We're not being helped by continuing to bury and hide from what's wrong in our lives. See, those things are doors. Those things are entryways to really begin praying earnestly as God's children. See, Paul tells us that when you become a Christian, when you put all of your faith and you put your trust in Jesus, God sends the spirit of his son into your heart. And what happens? The spirit of Jesus doesn't come into your heart. So you can now say, I've arrived. I'm done with needing help. I'm now one of those strong, capable people. Paul tells us when the, when the spirit of Jesus comes into your heart, when the spirit of Jesus comes into your heart, you end up crying. You cry, Abba, Father, dearest Father. The spirit of Jesus comes into your heart. 
and the Spirit doesn't give you this sense of independence, the Spirit works. He works by shining this great, massive spotlight on what has been true of us all along, that we are utterly dependent on our God. And our demise and our troubles have been trying to create this existence, this self apart from our relationship with our Father. Jesus puts the words, our Father, onto our lips. He begins to teach us to pray with these words because praying well happens when we can see ourselves correctly. And we pray our Father, our dearest Father. When we pray that, we're removing the spiritual mask that we tend to wear. And when we pray our Father, our dearest Father, we're reminded that what matters in prayer isn't, the, isn't our strength, it isn't how polished and refined our words are. Our Father, our Father, our dearest Father, constantly reminds us that even as we mature and grow, we never leave behind being God's child, right? whose needs are so big that they can only be handled by our Father who is in heaven. So praying well requires that we get our identity right, but to pray well also involves understanding who it is that we're praying to. We're praying to our Father who is in heaven. And, you know, and calling on God as Father doesn't sound strange to us. These are, these are very familiar words. We've prayed them often. We've heard them even more. But consider that in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father something like only 15 times. And never does an individual, an individual never refers to God as his or her Father. And so what Jesus is saying here, what he's instructing his disciples is quite revolutionary. No one up until this point has ever heard such a thing. You see, in the Old Testament, as J.I. Packer points out, the covenant name of God, we know, the covenant name was Yahweh, something like I am who I am. And Packer says, you know, Yahweh's name, this name was an enigmatic name. It was a name calculated to awaken humility and awe. It's a name that stresses God's otherness. It's a name that that is about his, his separation, it's his distance. It's a name that is all about distinguishing him, setting him apart from the rest of his creation. And so it's not really a name that we can easily relate to. But Father, Father is different. Father isn't enigmatic. It's a different kind of of name, and not that it, it excludes reverence, excludes awe, but more than anything, Father, dearest Father, suggests closeness, intimacy. And that's because in the New Testament, as Packer points out, the stress is not on the difficulty and danger of drawing near to the Holy God, but it's on the boldness with which believers, his children, may approach him. 
If you've watched The Crown, you'll remember, and it's quite sad, you'll remember those times when the queen's children, even her husband, they wanted to speak with her. They, they needed to be in her presence. They had something that they had to ask her. And their request was denied. They couldn't get to her. They had to reschedule a time to meet with their mother, their wife. You see, children of earthly royalty have restrictions, but not the children of the Heavenly Father. There's no waiting. There's no time that we can't go to him. There's no, there's no requests that we can't bring. Because in Christ, on the basis of his work, we approach the one whose name, whose name we can all pronounce, Father, our dearest Father. And what we find isn't a frown. We're greeted with his tenderness, his compassion, his mercy, his forgiveness. We're met by one who has infinite strength, and our Father is the God who holds all authority over the universe. This is the Father who has none of the flaws, none of the weaknesses, none of the sins of our earthly fathers. This is the Father. This is the Father who raised Christ from the dead. That is our Father. And with that kind of power, with that kind of authority, with the access that we have in Christ, just knowing his infinite, unfathomable love for us, why would our prayers ever be dull? Why would you go into prayer thinking that you must somehow have to twist his arm? That you must, have, you must need to fix yourself up before he would ever hear you and respond? And maybe it hasn't been your experience with your earthly father. But to pray well, to pray well, your heart must be convinced that the father delights to hear from his children. And if you doubt that, if you keep coming up with all these reasons for why that could never be true for you, let me ask you, do you think the father you think the father ever tired of hearing from Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus prayed as he stood outside Lazarus' tomb? He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And so often we don't, we don't pray with that confidence. But in Christ, that confidence is yours. Because we're in Christ, we're covered in his righteousness. That is true for us. We're always heard. We're always delighted in when we speak to our Father. And know that the Father, this Father has the same concern. He's interested and invested in your life to the same degree as he is for Jesus's. So speak to him. 
Right? He will always be more committed to our ultimate good than we ever will be. And maybe right now the cup that the Father has given to you in life is bitter. Circumstances aren't pleasant. Things aren't going as you want. And there can be that tendency in us in those times to withdraw, to not go to the Father. But those are the times that we need to persist in going to him because what we need what we need is to see that what, that what is bitter in our lives, what is hard, what is unpleasant for the time being, does in fact come from the hands of a wise and good and loving father. A father who will not let his children falter. A father who doesn't forsake or abandon. A father strong enough and faithful enough to bring us through all of our trials our lives can sink into periods of intense sorrow and suffering where things only look dark and bleak. But our trust and our promise is that our Father has the strength and the love and the faithfulness to resurrect any situation. And to know that he will raise us just as he did for Christ. When you pray, remember who you're talking with. If you're going to pray well, remember you pray to your father. You pray to your father who loves to hear from his children. You pray to a father who has given you full access. Who's invited you to be bold. That you know that you can trust him, that you can wait on him. You pray to your Father in heaven, who this very morning is using and directing all of his power and all of his authority to ultimately to deliver you, to satisfy you, to reward you, and to bring you into his presence. And if we're going to pray well, you need to remember the world's greatest concern what it is that truly matters in people's lives. You know, I grew up in the same small Indiana town as my dad, and in high school, in the early 1970s, my dad's basketball team, both in his junior and senior year, made it all the way to the semi-state, coming just short of winning a state championship both those years. And because basketball occupies too big a place in people's lives in Indiana, it wasn't uncommon, it wasn't unusual for people to come up to me as a child and tell me stories about those teams. Even after 30 or 40 years, people could still recount certain games and talk about how the whole town would shut down so they could come and watch these games. And as a child, I admit, maybe it's a bit silly, I loved I loved hearing those stories. Right? Those teams brought back great memories for people. And to know that your dad, your dad was part of it, was just special. Right? I enjoyed, 
I enjoyed hearing people speak fondly of my dad, retelling these, these stories from long ago. You see, when we pray, hallowed be your name, right, we are praying that our Father would be spoken well of by more and more people, and we're praying that our Father, our dear Father, would be the ultimate source of joy and happiness for more and more. The most important issue, the greatest concern in the world is that our Father receive from those created in his image what's, what's truly his, our worship, our undivided affection. You know, whenever we come across something we love, something we enjoy, we can't help publicizing it. We want others, we want others to take part, to know what we've discovered. So friends, what do you want others to know about your father? Right? Your father who is in heaven. Right? What stories of his grace and mercy can you make known? What can you share about his love for you, a love that brought someone who is not worthy to be a member of his family, but a love that has brought you in? Which of his blessings to you in Christ can you speak about to a neighbor, to a friend, to a family member? See, to pray well, to pray well doesn't require perfect words. You don't have to get into the right posture. You don't need beautiful surroundings. To pray well means praying for what's most important. And the most important thing in this world is that God and all of his glory and all of his majesty and all of his perfection and all of his truth and all of his love, that this God be made fully known to his creation. So the greatest concern in the lives of our neighbors, of our family members, our friends, one another, the greatest concern is not what is being sold to us. It's not what's being advertised. The greatest concern is that more and more people would join us, would come into this family by grace and that they would join us in this prayer our father dear father in heaven hallowed be your name father we do love you we are amazed and humbled by your love for us and Father, we want you to be known in this valley, in this state, in this country, all across the world that is yours. Father, would you help us? Would you help us to speak fondly of you? To be children who want to see your name, loved and treasured. Would you help us to do that by your grace and mercy?
pray in your son's name. Amen.